Wow, wow, wow. How many know about carrying trash? Anybody out there know what it feels like to carry some trash? Anybody know what it feels like to get rid of the trash and then go back and get it again? We thank God for that. Let's stand on our feet tonight. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got some trash I need to let, let Jesus have. Amen? Let's bow our heads. First, Father, we just want to give you the praise and all the honor and the glory that you are a God that is willing to get in our mess. That's, that's, that's phenomenal. Our loved ones are not willing to do that. But you are willing to get into our stuff God, help us just to be willing to give it to you and not to hold on to it. God, we have fallen in love with things that are not good for us. And we're asking right now in the name of Jesus all over the building, we just lift our hands towards you and we say, God, just take it away right now. Take away the desire, take away the thirst, the hunger for it, the appetite for it. And God, give us a desire for more of you. This is our prayer in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. And amen. While you're standing, your Bibles are in your ear. And repeat after me, thy word, thy word is, a is a lamp unto my feet. We got one more night. Come on. Thy word, thy word is, a is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word of God is my textbook. I mean it. I love it. I got to have it. The word of God is my textbook. Amen. Put your hands together as you give God praise. You may be seated. God is good. If you love Jesus, let me hear somebody shout yes. Oh, come on. One more time. If you love Jesus, let me hear somebody shout yes. All right. Praise God. I can't wait to get into the word tonight. Without further ado, let's review. For those of you who have not been with us. Oh, first, let me say this. Um, on tonight, as soon as the service is over, we invite you to join us downstairs. I'd like to get to know you, meet with you, fellowship with you. We have some refreshments for you. We also have DVDs and CDs at a super ridiculous discounted price. I think DVDs are like $5 and the CDs are like $3. And so we encourage you to come downstairs and get what you can. Uh, we're trying to get rid of this stuff so that people can have the word of God. Amen, somebody? They're normally like $15 for DVDs and like $10 for the CDs, but we are greatly reducing them because we want you to be able to have what you got. Amen? Let's review. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, now this whole thing of the fight of your life, it's intentional, this, this concept of a fight. By the way, if you, were ever, if you were invited here, we invited you because we wanted you to join us in the fight. Come on, say amen, somebody. How many can admit tonight, at least, especially my folk who've been with me every night and those who are here for the first time, that, that you can admit that I am in a fight, Pastor? Yeah, I understand what you're talking about. Well, let me, under, let me, let me help you understand what kind of fight it really is. The Bible says that it is the good fight of what, everybody? It's a good fight of faith. And, and so what we're really trying to help people understand essentially, and this is a real hard concept to get, that like the stuff you're dealing with at school, whether you're high school, whether you're an adult, at work, everything that you're dealing with is spiritual. Somebody say it's all spiritual. Even small stuff is spiritual. Spiritual. Everything has one purpose, either to strengthen faith or to take away faith. 
either to get you closer to God or to take you away from God. Every single thing in your life right now has only two objectives. It's either bringing you closer to God and faith or it's pulling you away from God and stealing your faith. But to fight for faith is a good fight. That's why the Bible says that we ought to fight the good fight of faith. Every fight that we fight is not a good fight. Come on, say amen. As my mom would tell me all the time, choose your battles. Choose your battles. You don't got to get into it with everybody about everything. And one of the things I'm learning is that God will actually fight your battles for you if you let him. But he will not try to play uh, co-pilot with you. Come on, say amen. I've seen some folk with little, uh, those little uh, sticker tags on the back of their car talking about Jesus is my co-pilot. Uh, well, uh, he don't want to be the co-pilot. He doesn't want you near the, the pilot seat. He wants you to sit back and let him drive. Come on, say amen. And so it is a good fight of faith. Now, uh, there, there are seven, somebody say seven. seven. There are seven salvation punches, if you please, to Satan's kingdom that we have been teaching on. Now, they're divided in two sections. There's the already, which is to say it already happened. And then there's the not yet, which is to suggest it hasn't happened yet. Are you ready for this? Very quickly, just just review. Number one, the incarnation. What are you saying, Pastor? In other words, God punched the devil in the mouth when he came down here as a baby. You got me now? That act alone, the, the word Emmanuel, which God called himself, he said his name shall be called Emmanuel, which really means God with us. God not only took our trash, but God came down in our trash. The second thing he did is he died for us. He was crucified. How many are thankful every day that you have a savior? Come on in here, somebody. Yes, indeed. And he died for your sin. Well, I could talk about this all night. But just for a few seconds, you need to understand that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for everything you did wrong, even before you did wrong. Number three, then <laughs> the devil thought he had him by killing him. But how many know that it was all part of his plan? The Bible says, in fact, he was the lamb slain before. Somebody say before. Before the foundations of the earth. In other words, Jesus made up in his mind, even before he came here as a baby, I'm going to die for them. Now, I don't have time to really get happy on this, but I need to just for a few seconds. Isn't that an awesome thought that God, that before you existed, God saw your raunchy life. And he was not discouraged to go the extra mile all the way to die for you. C can you imagine knowing the thoughts of everybody in this room, knowing the thoughts of your family members, knowing the thoughts of your co-workers, knowing how they really felt about you. And then in spite of what you knew about them, you decided I'm going to love them anyway. Well, your God did that times a billion. He before he even created you, knowing that you were going to jack up just so that you would give him the opportunity. To save your soul. How many know he's alive? Somebody say he's alive. And then after he was risen out of the grave, the grave could not hold him down. <laughs> the Bible says that he got up with all power. Somebody shout power in his hand. And the Bible says then he went back to heaven. By the way, the Bible actually, Jesus actually says, he says, it's good that I go away. Because now that Jesus, understand, now that Jesus has gone back to heaven, he is now able to be multiplied over six billion people in the world. If Jesus would have stayed here, you and I would not have had the opportunity to have him in here. But because he has gone up, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in our lives. Come on, say amen. Now, what's the not yet? That already happened. Somebody say already. 
Now, what has not yet happened that, that these are the final moves of God to destroy the devil? Are you ready for this? The, the next event that's going to happen is the coming of the Lord. And I don't understand why there's not like a lot of talk about it. I, I mean, can I just talk for a minute? I hear more talk about prosperity and living well down here than I actually hear about folk getting ready for Jesus to come. Like there's more Bible text about him coming than there's Bible text about us enjoying this life. Incidentally, if you study the scriptures or if you were here last week, you better get the sermon from this past Sunday. You'll discover that everything in this world is going to get worse. The economy is going to get worse. People are going to get worse. The weather is going to get worse. Come on, say amen. There's some confusing stuff in Cleveland. Some of y'all don't even know how to act. Come on, say amen, somebody. I mean, we got the air conditioner on right now, which is an amazing thing in Cleveland in March. Come on, say amen, somebody. But the world is going through conniptions and conundrums because it knows that something is about to happen. Then, after Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy the devil. <laughs> Woo! How many can't wait for that day? When he's finished, done. And then the last thing he's going to do, and this is all in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this on Thursday night and ending on Saturday. He's going to actually, the Bible teaches us in Revelation 20 and 21, that God's going to take the headquarters of heaven, which is the New Jerusalem. Can I blow your mind for a minute? He's going to take the headquarters of heaven and he's going to bring it down here to planet Earth after he consumes and purifies the earth with fire. God loves us so much. He says, I'm moving my location to planet Earth. Come on, say amen. amen. So very quickly, the, in these three weeks, this is what we're trying to do. And I want you to understand exactly what we're doing. In week one, we tried to establish that Satan is at war against the government, the character, and the law of God. How many got that? He hates God's government. He, he hates God's character. And he hates God's law, which are all the same. And they all equal one thing, love. In week two, we, we discovered that God's law leads you to Jesus and it protects you from yourself. The reason why we have laws in this land are to protect us from ourselves. <laughs> How many know you need protection from yourself every now and then? And then the third thing we recognize this week and what we'll discover more of is that because God is love, we ought to love God. Somebody say love God. Somebody say, love God. love God. Now look at your neighbor and say, God loves you, so you ought to love him. Yeah. All right. So, so, so what are we going to do with all this? You know, let me tell you something. If there is no, understand this, listen to me very carefully. If there is no second coming of Jesus, there's really no reason to live like a Christian. Well, I mean, why are we doing all this good stuff, trying to live right, trying to overcome if there is no punk, if there's no exclamation mark at the end of time, something good has got to come out of all the hell that we've been through. Come on, say amen. How many? I like how Shirley Caesar says, she says, I, she says, I ain't going to live in hell and then die and go to hell. Come on, say amen, somebody. No, 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 no. So let's go to work. One out of every 25, one out of every what, everybody? I'm trying to show you it matters. One out of every 25 verses in the Bible refers to the second coming. It matters. Somebody say, it matters. It matters. It matters. Tonight I want to talk about Facebook. Like, about Facebook, but like, not really about Facebook, but that's the title of my message. Facebook. Anybody know what Facebook is? 
No, let me just see this. How many of you have a Facebook account? Raise your hand. I just, I'm just curious. Wow, wow, wow. Who doesn't have a Facebook account? Who used to have a Facebook account, but you, don't, you ain't on there no more? <laughs> All right, if you've not heard, Facebook is something. If you notice here, Facebook, Facebook allows people, you know, what the, the, the thing about Facebook is Facebook allows people to be who they project themselves to be. Can I talk to you for a minute? People can put their best looking photo on Facebook. But if you meet them in real life, come on, say amen, somebody. It doesn't quite look like the same person. Amen, somebody. Um, Facebook gives people the ability to project who they want people to think they are. I mean, you can post scriptures on there. You can post cuss words on there. You can put whatever you choose to put out there so that people will think about you as a, in a certain way. Amen, somebody? Um, for example, I posted this on my Facebook account one day because I wanted people to think that I was Michael Jordan. Come on, say amen, somebody. How many know that's a lie? Come on, say amen, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a straight up lie, but it feels good. I mean, it looks good. Come on, say amen. Looks good. And then, as you notice, I have no hair tonight. And, you know, I love posting this photo as my profile. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you, you, you'll catch up in a minute. But as my profile picture on Facebook, I love putting this picture up because it shows me when I had hair. But how many know if you saw me right now, this ain't the same guy. Come on, say amen, somebody. Yeah, we want to project. And then sometimes we would, we would act crazy. And, 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 and people, now, I didn't put this up. Somebody else put this up about me. Come on, say amen. So even on Facebook, people can project about you <laughs> who you don't want them to project about you. Come on, say amen. Uh, and then they would just got low down on me. Yeah, they got, they got low down. They got low down on a brother. Somebody say, it's not reality. Come on, say amen. Facebook is not reality, but there is a book. There is a real Facebook. That's reality. And it's in the word of God. Acts 17, verse 31. Go with me. The Bible says he has appointed a what, everybody? A day. A what, everybody? A day on which he will judge the world. Tonight, I want to talk about the judgment. Can we talk about that tonight? I know that's not a popular topic, but I feel that we ought to talk about the judgment tonight. We need to talk about God's book, the book of life. We need to understand what we're really up against. And understand, God says, I've got a day that I've appointed for judgment. We're going to break that down. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, read this. The Bible says, for we must, come on. Everybody's got to appear before the judgment seat of, of Christ. So we know there's a judgment. Romans 14 and 12 says, help me now. So then each of us shall give an account. In other words, that's a popular term now. We ought to be accountable to somebody. In other words, we've got to give an account of ourselves to God. Understand, you just can't live life without consequences. Daniel 7 tells us about this judgment. Are you ready now? Now, Daniel is a prophetic book. What kind of book is it, everybody? Or if you want to get theological, they call it an apocalyptic book. In the first half of Daniel, it is history. The second half, it's prophetic dreams that appeal and that apply to the last days. Daniel 7, 9 says, let me read this to you. Daniel said, in vision, I watched till thrones 
Anytime you hear the word thrones in the Bible, know that that's about judgment. Know that that's about what, everybody? I watched till thrones, now stay with me tonight, were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. The Ancient of Days is God the Father. The Bible says on his throne, the Ancient of Days sat, his garment was what? As, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. The Bible says in verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. We'll break it down. 10,000, come on now, times 10,000 stood before him. We're talking about the angelic hosts, the angels, which cannot be numbered, that protect us day and night, are surrounding the throne of God. And notice what the Bible, listen to the language. The court was seated and the books, I told you, it's a real, we got a real Facebook we're going to deal with tonight, were open. So understand, God is sitting on his throne and he says court is in session and that the books are being opened and they are being accounted for. Are you ready now? Please stay with me tonight. I promise you I'll make this worth your while if you'll pray with me. Daniel 7.13 says, it goes forward, I was watching in the night visions, Daniel's in vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Uh Uh-oh. Coming with the clouds of heaven. What does that sound like? It sounds like Daniel sees a vision of Jesus Christ coming through the clouds. As the Bible has prophesied. Amen? So even years before we start talking about this thing, before Jesus was even born, it was prophesied that Jesus Christ would come back. Would you say amen? The Bible says he came to the ancient of days, his father, and they brought him near before him. Now, understand, court is in session, right? According to the Bible, the books are being opened. We're in a time of judgment, so to speak. But isn't it good news today? And I don't know about you. Anytime I go to court for any reason, even if I'm going on behalf of somebody else, I get nervous. Come on, say amen, somebody. It's just something about seeing a judge sitting there with that black robe on. And if they take the robe off, they don't look as intimidating. I'm telling you. But with that robe on, sitting at that bench, seeing the people there and the attorneys, it just makes me nervous. But in the spiritual sense, we are in court session and there is a judge god help me to preach this tonight but here's good news i gotta put good news here because i don't want y'all to get discouraged the bible says in first john 2 and verse 1 we have a what the word advocate is the word lawyer we have a lawyer with the father who is he his name is jesus christ the righteous how many know you well represented tonight come on say amen and you didn't pay a dime for it Straight up pro bono, not even quid pro quo. You're not giving nothing for any return. Thank God tonight we've got an advocate. And notice what Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says about this judgment. Let me able to just build this with scripture. The Bible says, for God, now hear this, help us God. Who's going to be able to stand? For God will bring, what? Every work into judgment, including <laughs> every secret thing. Whether what? Or uh, Malachi 3.16 says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. And notice this now, the Bible says, so a book of what? 
of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name day and night. So understand now, there was a book of remembrance, a book of what everybody? And that book of remembrance has not only good, but it has evil. And it has not only things that we've done, but it has things that we've thought in secret and in public. Psalms 56, 8. I'm just trying to give you a biblical foundation. The Bible says, and I like this. It says, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now, let's just bless the Lord for a minute. Not only are our good deeds and our bad deeds in this book, not only are our thoughts in this book, God says he even puts our tears. God, God even remembers the tears that we have shed. Come on in here, somebody. He does not forget where we are. Psalms 139.1 says, oh, Lord. You have searched me and you know me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. God knows us. And this is the mind-blowing thing. Forgive me for my enthusiasm, my excitement in this moment right now. I just got to celebrate God. I am fully, I'm fully, I'm fully known by God, but I'm fully loved. Does that blow anybody's mind in here? The fact that God, no, no God knows you. Your parents don't know you. They don't know what you've been looking at and, and what you've been into. Your husband can't really, he knows you to an extent, but God knows your thoughts. And the fact that he knows us and still loves us deserves praise tonight. The Bible goes on to say, he says, you are familiar with how many of our ways, everybody? All my ways. Verse 16 says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we were even born, our days were written in the book. Now, now help me out. Now, if I was God and I got a chance to read my story even before I came into existence, should I bring Myron into existence after I look through here and see that he was a preacher and he struggled with pornography? I don't know, as, as, if I'm God, I don't know if I want to bring him into this world when he's going to diss me, mistreat me, when he's going to rebel against me, when he's going to struggle with secret sin. But I'm glad to know tonight, and you ought to be glad too, that I'm not God and you're not God. And even though God knew what we were going to do before we did it, he still brought us into this world. Now, I want to shift gears now. God knows, I got to move. God knows all about us. Now, does he not, everybody? All right. It's not necessary to keep records for his benefit. In other words, get this picture out of your mind that God, every, everything you do, God is like writing it down. Oh, he's writing it down. Look, God does not need to keep records because he sometimes forgets. The records are not for his benefit. The records are kept so that there is clear evidence. Somebody say clear evidence of God's love and justice. Remember now, back, rewind with me a little bit. Remember, Satan's whole thing is God's not fair. Satan's whole thing is, is that God's law is not to be kept. Satan's whole thing is that God is ridiculous. He's a tyrant. He's an authoritarian. We ought not serve him. That's his whole thing about God. So God says, okay, I got you, Satan. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a record of everybody's life, including yours. And I'm going to hold this in remembrance, not because I'll forget, but when time shall 
shall be no more. And when we go to heaven, the Bible says that we will get a chance as those that are saved in heaven to look through the books so that we can declare of a surety God was fair. Are you here? Let me go back. Now, we're accountable. Somebody say accountable. People don't like being accountable no more. People want to do whatever they want to do without any consequences. I mean, people are losing jobs because they can't work with other folk because they don't like nobody telling them what to do. So here's the question. Here's the question. Are you ready for the question, everybody? Are you ready for the question, everybody? Here's the question. What is God holding me accountable to? The answer is God is holding us accountable for what we have done with our lives. You ever been to a funeral and you looked in the, in the program and it would say John Doe, born in 1976 and died in 2012. So what, and you have that little dash in the middle. You've seen that before. God is, God, God is judging us based on what we have done with our whole life. Now that should make somebody excited. In other words, God is not judging you based on every little mistake. See, some of us were taught that God is looking at us right now and every bad thing we do, he's saying, you're going to hell. Every good thing we do, you're going to heaven. Nah, God doesn't work like that. God does not need to look at time. God looks at our whole experience in one glance. And he's able to look at the constant train if we were walking toward God or if we were walking away from God. Ecclesiastes 11.9. I got to move. The Bible says, rejoice, O young man. I want to talk to my young folk in a minute. In your what? Oh, I don't have time. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Real quick. Number one lie that Satan tells. The number one lie that Satan tells to young people is this. You have time. Get spiritual when you're ready, when you get older. Can I tell you, hear me now, all my young folks, stay right here. If you believe that you're going to wait till you get older and more mature, by the way, maturity has nothing to do with age. Some people grow up, some people grow old but never grow up. Understand, the de- why do you think the devil has all, all, all young folk and kids thinking, I'm going to chill now and when I get older, I'm going to get spiritual with God. You know why? Because he's trying to destroy the most important time in your life. Amen. You can do more for God now than you can do when you get older. Bible says walk in the ways of, a, of your heart and in the sight of your eyes but know that for all these God is going to bring young people into judgment Matthew 12 36 the Bible says watch this y'all for every now I need, I need some prayer tonight because the word of God is so straight for every idle word men may speak they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Wow. Every, I, every word. Wow. The Bible says in verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be what? Yeah. Now they say in 2001 in the study, they said the average person speaks enough words in one week to fill a book of 320 pages. So imagine God getting a book of all your words. Come on, after this week. Come on, say amen. We're not even, you probably don't even got 320 right now. You probably just got maybe 100. Come on, say amen. So God takes out all the 100 words that you have laid out and he looks through that thing. Help us, Lord. Come on, say amen, somebody. I mean, words kill. Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
God is studying our lives. In about 60 years, if that is true, that's about 3,000 books of our words. What would our library say? 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Help me read this one. He says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. By the way, let me just say this. That's why you don't have to try to expose people because God will do that. The Bible says, and will expose the motives. So God is not just looking at what you're doing on the outside. God even looks at our motivation. As a matter of fact, I want to declare that our motivation is more important than what we do. You can look at somebody in the face and say, I love you. But in your spirit, you're really saying, I hate your guts. Die. <laughs> you can come to church and say to people, praise the Lord. But in your spirit, you're saying, you sorry, good for nothing, blankety blank. God looks beyond. That's why the Bible says, man, looketh on the outward appearance. But God looks at what, everybody? Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Oh, why Solomon said, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Y'all ready for this? And over here, here go the bottom line. This is the bottom line. He says, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God, why? For God shall bring every work into judgment. judgment. James 2, 12 says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And that's why I took all that time the past two weeks to establish the role of the law. Yes, we are under grace, but the law is there to guide us to see ourselves. The law is a mirror. We got to have the law. If there's no law, there's no need for grace. Because if there's no law, there's no sin. For the Bible says that sin is a transgression of the law. I need the law to tell me how jacked up I am so that I can run to Jesus. Now, I, I, a little while back, uh, Michael Jackson, some of you remember, um, he was on trial. May he rest in peace. He was on trial and for child molestation, serious charges. You remember this. And on his court date, my man, now look, we, we love Mike, man. We love him. But dude, Mike, you're not bigger than the court system, man. You can't, you can't go to court in pajamas. Do y'all remember that? Mike, I'm showing to you, Mike went to court in pajamas. When you stand before a judge, you ought to recognize who you're standing in front of. Some of us think that because of who we are, that we have some kind of points with the judge. Listen, there are no big eyes and little U's with God. You've got to humble yourself before God. Let me give you an example. Chris Brown. Why y'all sucking y'all teeth? <laughs> I mean, why are you sucking your teeth by somebody you love? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Probably. It, truth is, he, he, is, he, he, he is probably the biggest single male pop star artist out right now. Period. Hands down. Period. Boy can dance, sing, all that kind of stuff. But he got in a little trouble a little while back. You remember that? Uh, with a sister named Rihanna. And uh, they got into some kind of fight. Uh, he was abusive to her in some serious way. One of the reasons I, I can't understand why girls will love to listen to him. Uh, that's a whole other subject. So he had to go to court, amen? One of the things I noticed, even about the stars, and dude, I, this dude sags just like, I mean, 
I mean, I can't even do it because the Lord then gave me a little too much back here, so I can't really pull my, I can't pull my pants down. But if I could, I mean, homeboy really sags. He really, I mean, he really sad. I mean, he got the whole swag. He got all the latest styles, his hair. You see him, he's got the chain on, his glasses. I mean, he's the hippest dude out there. I mean, he's got, I mean, he's, he's there, right? Uh, but when he had to go to court, come on, say amen, somebody. Uh, he, he ain't going in there like this with his pants, you know, like he the man. No, dude, 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 you recognize who you're dealing with. And even Rihanna, come on, say amen, somebody. Well, her raunchy self, uh, God love her, I pray for her. But the way she dresses and carries herself, come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Sending the wrong message to our kids. And they imbibe this music in this film. But that's all right, though. I mean, I love girl. I pray that God will get, get a hold of her. Maybe he has already. But when she went to court, she wasn't dressed like a stripper. She pulled herself together. Come on, say amen, somebody. You know why? That's because when you are facing judgment, even in the natural sense, you recognize I got to pull myself together. Why? Because the judge could make a decision on my life. So how much more should we who are facing the judge of the universe? His name is Jesus. God the Father and the Holy Spirit. We are living in the time of judgment. And many of us are walking around in our spiritual pajamas. We're unprepared for the verdict. We're unprepared for his final decision. And all I'm saying is, is that since we're living in judgment, since court is in session, it's time to pull it together. Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does what, everybody? Who does the will of my Father? Now, in the book of Revelation, we get more insight here. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 6, it says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Most of you understand that Revelation is the end time book of the Bible. How many are clear on that? Don't have time tonight. Come back and we'll talk more about Revelation, my favorite book. But in Revelation 14, it says that, that this angel, this messenger, had the everlasting what? To do what? Who those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now watch this now. Now look at the message that, that God sends to the people in the last days. Here it is. Fear God and do what, everybody? Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment are, do y'all see what I'm saying now? In other words, he's saying there, it's time to pull it together. It's time to get full. It's time to stop playing church, so to speak. Why? Because we are living in a time. See, it's one thing to hear people say, Jesus is coming soon. I got more for you than that. Not only is he coming soon, you may not even live to see that day. But guess what? Right now, he is taking judgment on what you are doing with your life. The hour of his judgment is coming. The hour of his judgment might come one day. Has come. And so most of the time when people hear about the judgment of God, they get scared. Come on, tell the truth. Come on, talk to me now. If God were to start, if God came down here right now and said, look, we, I want everybody to line up and stand right here. How many of y'all would be like, yes, praise God. Come on, God, look at my life. Look at me. Look at me. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to go first. Put me in the front of the line. Come on, somebody. We be all looking around trying to figure out who's going first. 
When we know, most of the time when we talk about judgment, we get afraid. But understand, judgment can go in your favor or it can go against you. Come on, say amen. When O.J. Simpson was acquitted, some of y'all don't remember that, but I can tell you about it. When he was acquitted, everybody thought that he was going to be found guilty. But when he was acquitted, he was happy, was he not? The judgment was in his favor. And judgment doesn't necessarily mean you're done. Judgment simply means that God will make a final decision. And I believe that God's final decision has already been made. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be set free. But all he... Let me just... Can I tell you something real quick? God's decision really is not his decision. What he's simply doing is giving you the decision to make. And when you make the decision, then he's going to agree with your decision. Anybody remember Johnny Cochran? Some of you are too young to remember that. Some of y'all were born when the O.J. Simpson trial was going on. That amazed me. I feel like I feel real old right now. But and y'all remember that thing, right? All, look, all black people were sitting around the TVs waiting Come on, say amen. And listen, man, some of us probably think that O.J. did it. Doesn't matter whether he did or not. I mean, but when, that, when the trial was over, come on, was they not dancing in the streets? Because it was more than just about O.J. It was about black versus white. Really, that's what it was. And so we kind of felt good. Didn't matter whether he was innocent or guilty. They've been throwing us in prison for years for stuff we didn't do. Just let him off. Come on, say amen, somebody. And the famed attorney was a brother by the name of Johnny Cochran. May he rest in peace. Johnny Cochran was a bad man. He got to have been a bad man to get OJ off because all the evidence, come on, say amen, looked like it was against OJ. But, 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 but even after the OJ trial, Johnny Cochran, I didn't even know who he was till the OJ trial, but, but, but after the OJ trial, he started taking almost every major case, black folk, white folk, everybody wanted J.C., but I got news for you out there. There is a JC that is an attorney. Can I talk about him for a minute? And his name is Jesus. When I'm in trouble, I don't need Johnny Cochran. When I'm in trouble, I don't need a public defender. I don't know about you. When I get in trouble, I need a real lawyer. The Bible says in 1 John 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So understand, and a lot of us, you know, I'm under grace, I'm under grace. Yes, we are. But the, the Bible says, since, since, the, since the law is no more, we're not under the law, does that mean that sin should be multiplied? No! Should we keep on sinning just because God's given grace? No way! Sin killed Jesus. And understand, God hates sin because sin has separated us from him. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, has anybody ever sinned recently, today? Yes, you did. If you say you didn't, you just did. Come on, say amen. He says, and see, I like God because he knows how we are. He knows our frame, Psalm says. He said, I don't want you to sin. But if you do, and I suspect you will, he says, we have an advocate, a lawyer. Somebody said a lawyer. With the Father, and his name <laughs> is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So uh, get this now. We're in court, right? We're being judged by the law of God. But how many know we come short of his law? 
Come on, come on, talk to me. Come on, just get with me. I'm almost done. I'm on. How many know we come short of this thing? On a regular basis, we come short, don't we? I mean, we struggle on a regular basis to do what's right. As a matter of fact, the Bible says our righteousness, even the good stuff you do, the Bible says is as filthy rags. Get this. We have never really in our lives done anything good. Even the good stuff that we've done, God had to cover that thing with mercy. He had to cover that thing with grace. He had to put his blood on it because even our righteous stuff is not acceptable to God. Well, here's the good news about our God. This is kind of, anybody that's ever been in trouble before, you know how corrupt the legal system can be. I told you the other night, man, hundreds Hundreds, somebody said, been there, come on in here. Somebody, uh, uh, the other night I told you that DNA testing is starting to get a bunch of people off that should have never, folks on death row, most of them look like us. Come on, say amen in here. Just like this Trayvon Martin story. I mean, uh, he guilty of one thing. Come on, say amen to Walking while being black. And so I'm not trying to get off to an to a, to a Afrocentric thing tonight, but we, we must agree that any time you put human beings in the equation to make a determination on who is innocent or guilty, we jack it up every time. Human beings are the worst judges of character. I hear people say all the time, I got the spirit of discernment. If you do, you don't really have it. God gave it to you, and it's not really you that has the discernment. It's God that's speaking to you about stuff. But people with discernment do not abuse it to always be judgmental about people. People. I might as well take a moment to tell you that I can't stand judgmental people. And you know what God revealed to me? He says you can't stand yourself. Because all of us are judgmental. All of us size people up. All of us like to play judge and jury. And listen, anytime you put a human being with blood in their veins in the equation, we mess it up every time. One of the things I like about God is there's always due process. See, before God before God judges, God always investigates. Now, I know some of you are saying, why would God need to investigate if he already knows? Because not only must God show himself, that's an amazing thing, that he knows what's going on, he must also show us that he is giving us a chance after chance after chance he's being fair with us and the bible says all have sinned all of us are guilty all of us have broken the law but in spite of still being guilty he knows it he says i'm still going to investigate i'm still going to assign them a lawyer and guess what if they accept my grace they will even get off This is a biblical principle that God, now remember now, the Bible just prophesied in Revelation that we're living in the time of judgment. Right now, we're in the time of judgment. This time has not always existed. There's actually prophecy in the book of Daniel that prophesies that this judgment started some years ago in scripture. So we are living in very serious times, a time of judgment. So if we're in a time of judgment, that means God has to follow his own procedures, which is to investigate before he executes judgment. Now, can I tell you when the final verdict is going to be? When Jesus comes back. All right. So watch this. Remember Adam and Eve? When Adam and Eve sinned, didn't God investigate? The Bible says they hid themselves and he went looking for them. And he said, where are you? Amen. How about Cain? When he killed his brother Abel, the Bible says that he went looking for Cain and he said, Cain, 
He says, where's your brother? What's going on? Sin is crouching at your door. See, God doesn't just come and just strike us down. If that was the case, it'd be dead bodies all over the place. Come on, say amen. Even in the flood, before the flood, God gave them 120 years for them to get themselves together. Uh, if you look at uh, the Tower of Babel, you remember that? In Genesis 11, when they erected this tower after the flood, basically telling God, we don't care if there was a flood, we're going to build a tower so high to the sky that if another flood comes here, then we'll be able to withstand it. God says, okay, I got you. He says, check this out. He says, the Bible says he came down to see what they were doing. He had every right to kill them right then and there, but God always investigates. Come on in here, somebody, before he rains down. Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember that? The Bible says he came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, he said, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, Lord, if there's 50 there, will you destroy it? He says, for 50, I'll save it. He said, what about 45? He said, for 45, I'll save it. He went all the way down to 10. And God says, if I find 10, I'll spare it. How many know he couldn't find 10? Even though Lot got out, the Bible says Lot got out because God grabbed him and pulled him out. So understand now, God came down, he investigated the scene, he took, he took evidence, and then he rained down judgment. And then in uh, 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 Daniel, we see uh, chapter 5, we, we hear of, uh, uh, of the, 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 the mighty power of Babylon. And the Bible says that before Belshazzar the king was killed that night, God had come to him and his grandfather and told them, you need to turn your lives around. But they failed to take the warning. And I love this story. In John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Can we, can we shout on this for a minute? The Bible says that the woman caught in adultery had broken the law. She was caught naked in the act of adultery. And then these Pharisees dragged her through the streets in the shame of her guilt and brought her in church, put her at the feet of Jesus and said, now what you going to do about her, Jesus? She was caught in adultery in the very act. We got her now. And that's what the devil says about some of us. Caught him in the act. Got him. Got him on this generational curse. Got the daddy. Got the son. Got him all on pornography. Got the mother. Got the daughter. Got the granddaughter. Got him all on bitterness and unforgiveness. I got the whole generation. What are you going to do now, Jesus? And you know what Jesus did? He investigated. He said, women, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Uh, uh, can't find them. Come on, say amen. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In Daniel 8, 14, and I don't have time to get into this prophecy, but notice what, what happens here. The Bible says, this is a prophecy in the word of God that tells us where we are. It says unto 2,000, this is amazing, 300 days. Now in the Bible, days means years. Then shall the sanctuary be what? Daniel 8, 16 explains. Gabriel said, uh, make this man understand the vision. Make Daniel understand. What are you talking about? 2,300 days. The Bible says in verse 17, so he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, watch this. This is all I want you to get. Understand, talking to Daniel, the angel is explaining to Daniel. Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the what? All right, so get this now. He said 2,300 days, but the vision refers to the time of the end. What times are we living in, everybody? So he's saying that the sanctuary is going to be cleansed in the time of the end. What does that mean? What did the cleansing of the sanctuary mean? Very quickly. 
Basically, the Hebrew word for cleanse is the word sedak. And this is what it means. It means to justify. Somebody say justify. justify. Clean. Somebody say clean. clean. Some, purify. Somebody say purify. Now, the word is actually a legal word, which means court proceedings resulting in defendants being justified. Oh. In other words, God said, in the last days, <laughs> the sanctuary, the church, the world will be cleansed. How is it going to be cleansed? I'm going to cleanse it by getting rid of sin, and I'm going to justify, which means I'm going to cover. I'm going to cover the mess. God's not against you. God's for you. He's not trying to cause you to go to hell. He's trying to save you. Uh, the Bible talks about two sanctuaries. There's an earthly and a heavenly. Break it down. The Bible says, notice this. Here's, this. This is the earthly. In Exodus 25, 8, you've read this. I will remember the works of the... Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. That's actually Psalm 711. He says, that's actually Psalm 7711. In Exodus 25, 8, he says, and let them build me a sanctuary that I might, what everybody, that I might dwell among them. Now, let's get this straight. Uh, in Psalm 77, 11, this is what it says. It says, thy way, O God, watch this, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God. So what am I saying? If you want to understand how God works, you need to study what he did in the sanctuary system of the Bible. His way, somebody say his way, is in the sanctuary. When we talk about the sanctuary, we're talking about judgment. Because in this sanctuary, he said, in the time of the end, I'm going to cleanse it. In other words, I'm going to justify and I'm going to let the guilty go free. You want to see how that's going to happen? Here it goes. Every aspect of the earthly sanctuary represents something about Jesus. The whole sanctuary itself represents Jesus. The priests represented Jesus. The altar where sacrifice was made, as a matter of fact, it is in the shape of a cross, represents the sacrifice of Jesus. There it is. There it is again. You got it? The holy place where the bread was laid and the, and the, and the menorah, the, the seven, seven candle uh, menorah was there. All of this represented what Jesus would be doing. It's all about Jesus. Somebody say it's all about Jesus. Everything, the veil, where, where prayers were made over the veil represented what Jesus is doing for us. The most holy place represents the place where God's presence dwell. It represented Jesus. Now understand now, on the day of atonement, Lord have mercy. In the sanctuary system, an Israelite who had sinned or who had a severe ritual impurity. For example, it amazes me all the time. If, if a woman was on her menstrual cycle, she would not be allowed to go to the sanctuary in those days. If a man had sex with his wife before and had a nocturnal emission, go look that up. He could not attend the sanctuary. If somebody were blind or maimed, they could not worship in the sanctuary. If they had leprosy, there were all kinds of rules to keep people out of the sanctuary. But on the day of atonement, God would reconcile all the sin. Are you ready? On the day of atonement, without this stage, this day of atonement, a person's oneness with Christ could not be complete. I'm going to break it down so you can see it. So, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, somebody say the high priest, 
use special sacrifices to cleanse the sanctuary from the sins and impurities of the people. He did this because once a year, this was called the Day of Atonement. So once a year, he would get sin out. This was sort of a house cleaning, all right? For example, the Bible says in Leviticus 16:29, in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Why? This is about the Day of Atonement. For on that day, the priest shall do what? Shall make atonement for you to do what? So atonement cleanses from sin. The Bible goes on to say that you may be what? Clean from all your sins before the Lord. So there are two phases of the sanctuary. First, there was daily sacrifice. Amen? Then there was yearly sacrifice, which was the day of atonement. The two stages are seen in the text, 1 John 1, 9. Watch this now. So you must not only be forgiven, but you've got to be cleansed. When God talks about justifying us in this court session, we, he's just not going to let us go free without asking for no forgiveness, without making ourselves right with God, without any repentance. He's saying they're not, uh, there must not only be cleansing, but there must be repentance and forgiveness of sin. Here, let me explain to you simply like this. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? And what else? Oh, get this, y'all. God must not only forgive us. In other words, when God forgives us of our sins, if you say, God, I've sinned, forgive me, what he does is he treats you as if you have never done it. But understand, he has to still do something with that sin. So not only, thank you, Jesus, does he forgive me of my sins, but he cleanses. Thank you, Jesus. He, he rubs it out. The Bible says he takes my sin and he puts it in the bottom of the deepest sea. I don't know about you, but when I get forgiveness, I still don't want my sin out on Facebook. I still don't want it out on Twitter. I still don't want it around the water cooler at work. When God forgives me of my sin, I want him to not only forgive me, but to cleanse me of my sin. This is just a little a quick model. I'm going to break down. So, so, so every day at the, at the sanctuary, what they would do is we're almost done. John, uh, John Doe would bring his little bag of sin, right? And he would come to the altar and offer a sacrifice. And what he was essentially doing was he was moving his sin into the sanctuary. Now, let me ask you a quick question as a quiz. What does the sanctuary symbolic of? Jesus. So this is all a drama showing us what Jesus does for us. So he brings his sin and he brings it into the in, into the sanctuary every day and it stays on Jesus. You got me? Now, one day out of the year on the day of atonement. What everybody? The day of what? He would do a second phase. So they would work the sin in and now on that one day they would work the sin out. They would start in the most holy place and sprinkle blood. They would go out to the holy place and essentially, very simply, they would be working the sin out of the sanctuary. And then there was oneness or atonement or at one with God. Let me explain. You cannot be in right relationship with God with sin that's not been dealt with. So at the end of the day, on the Day of Atonement, there were only two groups of people. Now, I thank God. This, I, I'm, I'm so praising God that that dispensation is over. 
There was only two kind of people, cleansed and cut off. If a person did not get forgiveness of their sin or for some reason didn't participate in the service or fell asleep and did not come, they would be cut off. In other words, they would be thrown out of the camp. They were considered never to be called a Jew ever again. They were done. That's how God feels about sin. But bless your heart. We're not in that system anymore. Can we close it out now? The Bible says in John, <laughs> and, and, let me just throw this out here. Some of us are still trying to go back to that system. We even treat this church like it's some kind of symbolic sanctuary. This ain't no sanctuary. If it was a sanctuary, everybody with glasses on would not be able to come in. You realize their text of scripture in the book of Deuteronomy and Le Leviticus, if a man had weak eyes, he was not allowed to go to the sanctuary. Y'all better pray. Stop telling folk we in, this, is a saint, this is a holy place. This place ain't holy. The Bible says you're holy now. He says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If y'all gonna stay in that old way, then you go ahead and you stay there. But I don't know about you. I need to come into the presence of Jesus. Now watch this now. The Bible says in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt. The word dwelt means to make a human sanctuary. What am I saying? I'm saying that when Jesus came to planet Earth, Jesus became the sanctuary. He replaced the old system. Oh, come on in here now. Let me talk about it now. For example, if you ever read the scriptures, you will see situations when people would come to Jesus and they would be a leper and folks would get mad because Jesus touched them. You know why? Because a leper was not allowed to go into the presence of God. But when Jesus came up, he became the sanctuary. So he said, guess what? You don't got to come to the sanctuary. The sanctuary is coming to you. And the same. Hear me now. Somebody say the same. Talk back to me and say the same. The same glory of God that would dwell in the most holy place. And, and, and the presence of God was so ferocious, if you please, that one person could go in there. And if they went in there in the wrong spirit, they would fall dead at the glory of God. But now that Jesus is the sanctuary, the glory of God dwells in flesh. So instead of Jesus, when he touches us, us dying, we get healed. Instead of when Jesus touching us, we lose our lives, our bodies are restored. Can I, can I give you an illustration? Let me give you an illustration. Somebody shout, Jesus is my sanctuary. You remember the story of the blind man? The Bible says Jesus went and spit into the mud. He was blind. Now all the Pharisees were like, dude, how are you going to heal a blind man? You're not supposed to touch a sinner. Bible says he spit on the ground, the sanctuary, <laughs> took the mud and rubbed it in his eyes. Bless your heart. And the Bible says that this man, eyesight came back to him. Can I tell you what just happened? What God did was, is God reversed the penalty of sin for sinners. In other words, God really should have nothing to do with us in our condition. But now that Jesus is the sanctuary, somebody say Jesus is the sanctuary. We can get for, he's a one-stop shop. He's, 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 he's a Walmart, if you please. Everything we need, we can get 
from Jesus. And though we are blind in our sin, though we are caught up in our mess, though we are dirty and filthy and wretched and poor and we can't do nothing right and we can't seem to pull ourselves together. The Bible says Jesus comes to us. He brings the glory of God and he does not kill me dead. See, you ought to, hear me now, you ought to die. Listen, you ought to die every time you come near God. Because of your wretchedness, every time you get near his presence, you ought to fall dead. But the reason why you don't is because Jesus has wrapped himself in flesh. And now he's one of us and he's still God. And instead of us dying, we have life. Instead of us falling to our face and living no more, we've got abundant life. It's all about Jesus. It's time to get right and get ready. Judgment is taking place. He is reviewing the books. But he's also saying, I got your back. I put my best lawyer on your case. And not only does he know what you've done, he knows how to get you out of it. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. So some of you are asking, come on, Michelle, what if I fall? How many know you're going to fall? What if I fall? Proverbs 24, 16 says, for though a righteous man falls seven times. <laughs> what does he do, everybody? But you know what a wicked person is? A wicked person is one who is brought down by calamity and never gets up. What if I fall? The Bible says, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. He said, but if anybody does sin, what do we have, everybody? Yes, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. How many know he was a good sacrifice? Uh, for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I like this text. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. But Christ, being come and high priest by his own blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. He didn't have to go in every year. He entered once into the holy place. And having obtained eternal redemption for us. Who says amen to the word of God? Amen. Who gives God praise tonight? I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Here it is. Here it is. Very quickly. Very quickly. We got to go. I, I got so excited on this thing. It's just, it's a beautiful thing to see. Here's what I'm saying. It's like, man, what more does he have to do? to demonstrate his love for us. And I, I want you to get this. This is not just a feel-good sermon so you can say, he saved me, he delivered me. No, this is a wake-up sermon saying, he did all that for you, now you gotta be ready. You've got to be ready, not get ready. You got to be ready right now. How, how, pastor? How, how do I get ready right now? You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I'm into. You don't know things I've done. It's real simple, just say, God, come into my life. I want to follow all your commandments. 
Because check this out now. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. Amen? I mean, don't, don't tell me you love God, but you also love sin. If you're going to love God, you're going to want to love to obey every commandment. You don't want to have any other gods before you. You don't want to erect up any idols or take his name in vain. You want to remember his Sabbath. As the word of God says to keep it holy. You want to honor your father and your mother. You, you don't want to commit adultery. You don't want to steal or lie or covet. Because you, he's just been that good. I want to change. I want to ask you tonight as we close this thing. Is there anybody that wants to be ready right now for the judgment? You want to be ready right now. You want to be ready right now. You want him to come into your life and to fill you with his love and take away your old desires. If you want that in your life right now, I invite you to stand right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. My next appeal, invitation, if you please. There's somebody in this place tonight that needs to take an extra step. And, and please, uh, brothers and sisters, I, this is what I live to do right here. We, some of you know the Lord already. If I were you, I would pray, but it was was, was God speaking to anybody tonight? Do you, need to, do you need to give your life fully to God? Have you been holding some stuff back? Have you, been like, have you been like some of the examples I showed of people who are just unready for a judgment? You're living any old kind of way. You've not, really, you've not really invited Christ to take total control. You want him to be your savior, but not your Lord. He wants to tell you what to do, give you direction. Is there somebody here today that needs to surrender totally to him? And you, and, and where you are right now, you know you need to take a next step. You need to follow all of his commandments. You need to be a part of a church family. And become